Hello, and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today's episode features an interview with Frank Farrell, AI Ecosystems and Snowflake Alliance leader at Deloitte. Frank has been at Deloitte for over 12 years, and he has previously been the global leader of consulting assets and solutions and the chief strategy officer of consulting. On this episode, Frank talks about how to help your clients become data-driven, AI's impact on streamlining clinical trials, the benefit of moving data to the cloud, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation between Frank Farrell and your host, Steve Hamm. So Frank, Deloitte is a sprawling global organization. And as I understand, it's a global network of firms wide variety of services, audit, consulting, financial advisory, risk management, tax services. It would be great if you could describe the dimensions of the business and how it operates. We started as an accounting firm, and that's how we helped our clients for for many, many years. But then as technology became more pervasive and more of a requirement that our clients needed to address, roughly about 30 to 40 years ago, we started to focus on providing services that involve consulting and technology. We're now, you know, 400,000 people in, in over 100 countries. And so what that does is it gives us significant scale to be able to tackle our clients' most complex and, and challenging problems or their, their biggest opportunities. And, and these tend to be, they have a, a business angle to them. So we work with our clients to understand their marketplace, their strategy, there may be a merger acquisition situation. They may need to understand their tax position. So really helping them with that business piece. But then when it comes to architecting and implementing technology, then we're able to do that at significant scale. And we think that that's a real differentiator for us because we have the, the business advisory elements at scale, but then we're also able to implement the technology that, that we recommend to, to really be able to holistically solve the client's problem. We think that really differentiates us. Now, it seems like you, you really have a mission of helping clients become data-driven companies. At the highest level, how do you do that? Well, kind of like what we've been talking about around their business strategy, you've got to understand what is their competitive situation in the marketplace. Or if they're a government, public sector organization, what are they trying to do with their citizens or you know, programs within their country or state? And so we actually, because we have such breadth, and understanding of strategy, we can determine what is it then that you would do with data? And then what kind of data do you need? And what structure does it need to be in? And so you, a lot of the topics around the business use of data, we, we get them anchored on. And it's not technology, it's not the, the tail wagging the dog, it's what do you need to do with the data to achieve your organizational objectives? Then once you answer that, it's what, is the current state? What, what data do you have? What kind of systems and technology do you have? Is it modern? Is it very dated? Is it siloed? Have you moved to the cloud yet? And what we're finding more and more is that almost all of our clients, in fact, we did a, a survey last year, and it showed that like 85% of major organizations, organizations that have more than a thousand people are actively involved in a data modernization program almost 100% of those programs involve moving to the cloud in some way or another. And so once we understand that strategy and what needs to be done with the data, it's what is the appropriate then new architecture? And, and again, it might be in a merger and acquisition scenario. It may be in a growth, maybe a you know divestiture type of a situation. So what is the right architecture? 
and, and getting that right. And then what are the technologies that need to then come into play? Almost always there's a cloud hyperscaler, you know, there's data technology, artificial intelligence technology, and this is where Snowflake comes in. This is why our partnership with Snowflake is growing quite a lot, is that Snowflake is increasingly the answer to what is that modern capability that you need as a data platform as you transition your organization. Now, I know you wear several hats there. You're the AI ecosystems leader and also the Snowflake Alliance leader. First, I want to talk about AI. I mean, it really seems like in the past half decade, AI has just exploded in the corporation. I mean, a decade before that, just little things around the edges, I think. But in the, in the past five or, or a little bit more years, it's really exploding. Lots of different ways, lots of different technologies. To what do you attribute this explosion of use of AI technologies? And how are you, as a leader at, at, at Deloitte, how are you exploiting those? It's, it's a really good question. In fact, we've just launched our third annual um, State of AI in the Enterprise Survey. And what, one of the metrics that we saw is that in the last three years, there's been a, a 300% growth in the adoption of, of AI. And if you look back when we started the survey, roughly four years ago, only 37% or so of organizations were actively using AI. And we believe that within two years' time, that's going to be in the 80%, 90% range. So you're seeing mass adoption. And in fact, if you look at all the different elements, they're the, the main elements of artificial intelligence right now. So machine learning, deep learning, computer vision, uh, natural language processing. So many of the organizations that we surveyed in this, there's about 500 organizations, 3,000 executives that, that participated you know, roughly 50 to 60% of the organizations were using those technologies right now. But as they look ahead to two years time, it's going to be around 95% of those organizations will be using all four technologies. There wasn't one that was, that was falling behind there. And so I believe the explosion, it, it's kind of the, um, it's the next iteration of digital transformation. So if you think about 10 years ago, as the mobile phone was new, social networks were new, cloud was pretty new, there was this sense that there was a kind of a structural movement or shift in technology around digital. In fact, that became almost digital transformation, I think, became an overused concept. But organizations made big investments. They saw really big results. That became, and then now if you look at the current situation with, with COVID, digital transformation is being accelerated with the way that, that people work and, and you um, service customers and, and things like that. So I think what's happening is you're seeing a confluence of technologies again, new technologies like machine learning, natural language processing, but then also, you know, you know fantastic CPU, GPU growth. So just, you know, your core chips and processors, your image recognition and language understanding, the software has improved to the extent to where this technology is now better than what humans can do. And there's, there's probably about 12 technologies like that. You know, cloud has continued to advance in terms of you know, native services and the ability to store enormous amounts of data at a, you know, quite a low cost. The confluence of these technologies and innovations has now enabled very complex calculations, you know, algorithms, the, the things that you need in order to execute on an operational basis around artificial intelligence, those things are now in place. And so, and they're becoming less expensive 
And as the, the technology providers understand how customers are using these, they become simpler to use. They have better interfaces, they have a lower code approach to, to implementation. And so they're much easier to adopt. And then as they are adopted, it creates competitive tension and a requirement for if your organization is going to succeed and thrive, then you will have to adopt AI too. It's the same type of thing with digital, whether it was e-commerce or you know, back office efficiency or, or things like that, you know, five, 10 years ago. So I think it's this combination of factors that is really driving the investments in the adoption in artificial intelligence. Now, you're Deloitte's AI ecosystems leader. What exactly is the AI eco ecosystem and, and when, when and why was it set up? Well, I actually get a lot of questions internally around what is an ecosystem. And, it's, and again, I, I started by talking about the evolution of our firm. We do a lot of work. Uh, in fact, the, the majority of our client projects now are done with a strategic alliance partner. So somebody like Snowflake. And it's, it's really only been in the last probably 15 or so years where it's, it's been like that. And I think we've gotten quite good at managing alliances, but it was something that was not comfortable for us starting out. And a, an ecosystem, we talk a lot in the, internally as, as we're doing our strategy and our planning and thinking about our offerings, we talk about ecosystems. And ecosystems are, are basically, it's a, a collection of individual entities that are coming together in an environment. In fact, if you, if you Google the term ecosystem, you get a lot of bio, biological references and it, it talks about a set of species interacting in a habitat. And with a lot of tech players and software providers or services providers, you know, there definitely are a lot of species and, and we interact in the environment, which is the marketplace. And so you've got some of these really big complex questions, problems, opportunities that we need to address for clients. They require software, they require hardware or access to capability via the cloud, require some of the business smarts we were talking about earlier and the change, you know, a lot of the, how do we bring the organization forward to restructure and to deploy technology? And, and so an ecosystem is a collection of all of these different participants or actors working together and ideally towards a common goal and, and common cause. I mean, a lot of cases competing against each other, but then also really pushing forward innovation and advancement with a, ideally a, a customer yeah, focus. Yeah. So let's think about this as a diagram. It, uh, is it something you can talk about in terms of layers of technology piling on top of each other, or is it better to kind of think about it as kind of a hub and spoke, I mean, like with the hub being the key player in an ecosystem, or does either one of those make sense? You can actually look at it in, in both of those ways really effectively. And in fact, I've, I've seen, you know, architectures, presentations where, that, where that's what we've done. And, you know, you can almost build up a, a layer cake. I use a kind of an analogy to a cake. And a lot of times when I'm explaining, you've got your underlying infrastructure need You've got to be able to compute and, and store data. And that's where we've seen the, the huge growth of the hyperscalers and cloud providers by, by providing that. And then you've got your, your data storage and you know, your, your data platforms, Snowflake um, fits in, in that category. Within your application providers, which have business logic and are, are meant to execute a, a certain functional task or, or something that might be oriented towards a, 
a sector or life sciences, healthcare or banking or something like that. And then kind of wrapped around this is the experience layer. So how does this technology then interface or interact with a person? Is it through an app? Is it through a browser? Is it through some other device now with IoT as, as that's coming through? And then what are the services around that? And, and you can actually have an architecture, a call center is a really good example where you might have a very large cloud provider hyperscaler involved. And then you might have a somewhat large application provider and then a dedicated telephony phone specialist technology provider. And then some very small, and some of the businesses that we work with, they have less than 50 people. And you know we've got 400,000 people and some of our cloud partners are just enormous in terms of market cap. And here you've got a 50 person business that is really good at something. So, you know, translating the, the conversation with the customer into text to then be able to flag risks or compliance requirements or additional business opportunities like upsell or cross-sell, or maybe able to take that text and be able to interact or take that voice conversation and interact with a customer in through WhatsApp or through a, a text message or, or something yeah. like that. So the you've got that layer cake of providers that should be very large to very small, but then also there's a, a kind of Venn diagram or, or so where you might have an initiative. It might be an artificial intelligence research or innovation initiative, and you might have a prestigious university. You might have an open source community. You might have a very large hyperscaler cloud provider services business like Deloitte a set of startups, like in the previous example. So um, it, it, I think both are a really good way to visualize it. And if you think about the diversity of, of who's involved in it, it makes it really exciting around what you can do from an innovation standpoint, but it's also very complex and, and tricky to manage. Is the cloud really the key to being able to bring all these players together with much less friction? I believe so. We found that Ten years ago, we started to look at cloud and thought maybe it was just going to be for divisional IT, maybe for proof of concepts, science projects almost. You know, who would ever put a banking application on the cloud and would government ever use cloud? And the they, answer that is comprehensively right now, absolutely would. And in fact, the, the number one reason that we found in our recent research for organizations to do a cloud migration is actually for enhanced security and data protection. And then that might seem counterintuitive because, you know, there's nervousness around, you know, keeping data within a, a country's boundaries and, you know, being worried about your data going off-prem, but actually these very large cloud providers, this is the core of their business and their brand. And so the investment in security and data protection is extremely high. And so what we found is that a lot of organizations are moving to get that better protection from a cloud provider. And then there are so many now services that are offered in the cloud. And if you put your data in the cloud, it comes out of the silos that have existed you know, for the past you know, however many decades. So what that does is that opens up a set of possibilities, particularly through application programming interfaces or APIs, it allows you then to connect to so many other capabilities, whether it's outside your company or, you know, within your, your cloud uh, instance, 
that you can really do much more with less cost and integration. And that just opens up a whole new world of, of innovation and flexibility. Yeah. You mentioned a moment ago that ecosystems, one of the, there's a challenge there, which is managing them because very often yeah. they're different entities, different businesses or universities or whatever. So you're an AI ecosystems leader for, for Deloitte. Yeah. So you've got a both, you both have an internal coordination management role, but also an external role. So if you would, I think it'd be really, it'd be really interesting to hear you talk about kind of your day-to-day -day job and how you do it. Yeah. And what's really interesting in, in my role is the internal piece is completely guided by the external requirements. And I think the way you pull a good ecosystem together is you've got to be mission oriented. And so I gave that example of very large providers, very small providers, academia. If you're trying to do something like, cure cancer or certain type of cancer or heart disease. You know, that's, that's something that you can really focus on. And what will be required is some research around the disease. There then will need to be some very specific technology application around uh, managing things like clinical trials and um, understanding the results of different pharmaceuticals as, as they're evolved. And in order to do this, you have to crunch enormous amounts of data. And so you've got technology and, and cloud providers and, and things like that. And so what I've found is that if you can work out what is the market demand and what are the client needs, you then can assemble, you know what you need. It's almost like a shopping list of then things that you need. Now, what I have found to be hugely important, this is why we love working with Snowflake, because the collaboration requirement is really important and also having an aligned culture. So there's got to be an ability to not always be the smartest person in the room and to listen as well as have a point of view and to speak and then also to share a roadmap. And, you know, so you're sharing your intellectual property and that's the basis of your organization's value in a lot of cases. And some of the most tense meetings I've ever been in in my career is where we're talking through a five-year roadmap with a really important technology partner and we're showing our IP and they're showing their IP. And we're trying to figure out how do we agree on who's going to build what. And if I give you a secret, something that we think has competitive advantage for our market position, will you share your secrets? And also, will we take that forward? So there's, there's a lot of things around governance, culture, aligned objectives. You know, and that can be a mission. You know, something that is important is curing cancer. Or it can just be we want to really drive our business growth. We want to grow our business by double digit growth or by a billion dollars or something. And so if there's an alignment around that objective, the market space you're going to be in, you're much more likely to have a successful outcome around an ecosystem. When talking about AI technologies, I mean, there you talked about the fact that there's so many being used in so many different ways. Can you drill down on an example of a really cool AI application that you've been helping somebody with that maybe the, the listeners haven't heard of anything like this before. Well, one of my favorite examples, and, and we have this as a, a case study in our in our state of AI in the enterprise survey, is, is a company called Recursion Pharma. And, and what they do is they're tackling some of today's most, most tricky health problems. So looking at cancer treatments, heart disease, lung disease, and, and things like that. 
And what they've done is they've built a, a platform. They, they basically, they know that they're going to be running hundreds of clinical trials around potential medicines at any given time. And these, these trials are complicated. They're expensive. If they go well, really great medicines can go out the door and, and help patients. If they don't go well, then that disease continues to be a, a problem with things. And then there's the business, the profitability requirement around, you know, we make big investments, we, we need to get the returns. And so what, what uh, Recursion has done is worked out that they can use artificial intelligence, so image recognition, to determine if a cell is, is healthy or not, so if human cells are, are healthy or not. And so what they're doing is they're taking massive amounts of data from all of the various trials that they're running, and they've got a, a database of, of 5 million images of human cells. And what they're able to do is use machine learning to determine the results of the different trials the cells that are, are being tested, are they seeing positive outcomes or negative outcomes? And basically bringing that together and summarizing that. So on a much more rapid basis, on a much more economical, so saving you know, millions of dollars on an annual basis, they can run these trials in a way that is relatively automated. It's very intelligent. And I think it's just one of the best examples of the practical applications of artificial intelligence that, that I've seen today. Hopefully they're working on COVID-19. I don't know if they are, but, but actually more broadly. So in the, in the industry, the various pharmaceutical companies that are working on treatments and vaccines absolutely are using artificial intelligence. And, you know, basically you, you would not be able, if, if you look at what the, the news is reporting around the results of potential treatments and, and vaccines, the timelines that are being considered would would not be able you would not be able to develop those treatments in a time frame like what we're seeing if you did not have artificial intelligence and cloud like so the, so the ability to really crunch the data in an expansive way at a relatively low cost with the deep learning and the machine learning and the computer vision and the artificial intelligence tools to be able to assess that automatically uh, you just you just wouldn't yeah. be able to do that and so I actually think if you step out of the quite negative pandemic situation that we're in and you look ahead to some of the more chronic diseases we've had in the past, you know, and cancer and, and the like, I'm actually quite excited about the potential of applying technology to those problems. And also more broadly, like my colleagues, it's always really fun to see an engagement where you're tackling a topic like this that you know is really going to do some societal good and um, is really going to help people. So I, I think that that's a, a real win-win from a business perspective, but also from a human outcomes perspective. No, that's wonderfully encouraging. It is amazing when you look at the situation, and we, and we do have this real crisis around the world with, with terrible impacts. But just think if this had happened before the internet. Think, think oh, if yeah. we didn't have the internet. Think if we didn't have video calls. And also, obviously, with, with some of these, these cure and vaccine issues, you know, the ability to do something perhaps twice as fast. You know, yeah. a lot, I mean, I think part of it is, you know, it takes about, I think it still takes about 10 years to develop a, a molecule into an approved drug, you know, by the FDA. Yeah. But with, with machine learning, you can find other drugs that are already approved for one thing that actually exactly. might have an impact on something else. And it's just, that would have been absolutely impossible 
to do in three months, you know. Yeah, and it may have attributes that, you know, while it, it isn't 100% the answer, it may have attributes that are 50% the answer. So you effectively start with a significant head start and you're able to more rapidly do this. And then also, you know, as technologies become more prolific and globalized, you have many more geographies, many more types of organizations. So if you think about the current situation, you have governmental organizations, you have commercial pharma, you have a, a lot of different companies that are working on this. And um, without the pervasiveness of technology, you, you just wouldn't be able to do it. I mean, you, it would be like 1918 and the pandemic situation that you had there where you just have to kind of push through it at great cost to, to human life and, and health, or you'd have to completely shut your economy down, which you know, that's a dramatic impact as well. You've mentioned Snowflake a couple of times in our conversation today, and I want to get back to that now. When did Deloitte start working closely with Snowflake? What are the kind of the, the initial engagements and, and, and how has it developed? So we've been working with Snowflake for well over a year, and um, we're really excited about the partnership and, and what we see with Snowflake. We love the innovation and the fact that, you know, here is a data platform that's born in the cloud, but it's also multi-cloud. So it, it sits on, on top of, you know, the largest provider's infrastructure. And it's got some, in terms of the performance and the query speed, the really smart way that, you know, there's the per second metered pricing, the fact that there's so many native integrations, some big announcements that were made several weeks ago. And, you know, we see in the business intelligence area and artificial intelligence area, you know, announcements and things that are happening, partnerships where, and in fact, Snowflake's recently moved its positioning from cloud data warehouse to cloud data platform. And we really like that because we know that it alludes to, Snowflake becoming a more pervasive capability. This is why I'm personally excited with my artificial intelligence role because in order to enable the artificial intelligence, you've got to have the data modernized. And in fact, over 60% of the people that we surveyed around you know, the state of, of artificial intelligence said that I've got an issue with data and that's preventing me from adopting AI. And so you know, with Snowflake, you can get the data out of the silos, the the Query speed is is really really fast, and so you can you can use it for things that have almost real time requirements, or where you know some of these data sets that we're talking about. There's really expansive data sets, but you don't need to be working with them, you know, on an ongoing basis. You have like a particular problem that you need to solve, so you can run it, and then you can shut it down. And we really like that flexibility, and so. You know, we think that Snowflake is going to be one of our top partners as an artificial intelligence enabler and also as an important part of cloud modernizations and migrations that our clients are doing and, and need help with. And so we think that that's going to be the basis for, for quite a lot of growth. And the, the projects that we're doing right now, they, they tend to be focused in the life sciences, healthcare, and the, the technology and the, the banking sectors where these organizations have a lot of data. And um, they tend to be stuck, or not stuck, but they tend to reside in, in legacy databases that are now quite aged. They're 12, 15, 18 years old, and, and they're on-prem, they're, they're not as flexible, and very high maintenance costs with that um, because they tend to be oriented towards a hardware application and, and things. And so we really like the fact that in these business sectors, which are really high priority for us, that's where a, a lot of our clients are, are at. 
there's the ability to, to move this data, to modernize the capability, and then to enable the transformation that we talked about earlier around artificial intelligence and, and other things. And so the projects that we're doing right now are mostly helping our clients to do that modernization, move that data out of an old world into a new cloud-enabled world. And we're really excited about then what happens next with you know, basically being able to enable customer data platforms, artificial intelligence capabilities, and, and really help our, our clients become more sophisticated about how they use their data. So what does Snowflake Cloud Data Platform enable your clients to do that they couldn't do or couldn't do as well previously? Well, it's basically being able to take large volumes of data and get them out of silos in the organization, but at a relatively low cost. So, you know, you already, so the clients that are adopting Snowflake and are modernizing, they've moved to the cloud. And so the, the storage and the compute capability is separate. So you're already paying for that in the cloud provider. You don't pay for that again with Snowflake. And so what, what, the clients are able to do once they migrate across the snowflake is to run really big expansive queries that they wouldn't otherwise be able to, to do with the constraints of their previous system. But again, like only run it when they need to. So if, if you're looking at, you know, assessing clinical trial data for a cancer treatment, you don't have to run that every hour. You need to run an assessment and then, you know, feed that back into the trial and things. And so, Snowflake gives you the ability to do that, a massive data set with very flexible pricing, and then the integrations into the, the business intelligence, the artificial intelligence tools, really give it a lot of flexibility and richness around the analysis that can be done after you've run that and you have that data. Hey, what about the data sharing capability, either within an organization or between, you know, within a an ecosystem. Are you, is that something that's really kind of unique to these kinds of cloud data platforms? Or it, it is unique, and it's it's fairly early yeah. stages. You know, they, they say that you know data is the new oil in the economy, and so what we're looking at is how data is going to be shared, and particularly some of these ecosystems that we've talked about. And we've we've tended, I think, to anchor on life sciences, and healthcare in this conversation. But if you are a governmental or quasi-governmental research institution, academia, and then commercial companies and things, being able to share that data back and forth, particularly around like really complicated and, and difficult topics is, is really, really important. So being able to do that at speed and flexibility and low cost is something that, that's really important. And we think that you know, Snowflake's having that ability to do that is, is a real differentiator. How that evolves in an ecosystem standpoint, how you govern that, who owns the data in that circumstance. These are things that are, are quite difficult and, and being worked out, but the, the underlying capability is there. And we think that that's a really unique feature of Snowflake. Hey, I, I do a lot of reading of LinkedIn profiles before these podcasts. And um, I noticed that you, two things, you have an interest in environmentalism. And also I noticed that you spent a lot of time in Australia before you came back that's to America right. here. Now, <laughs> Australia, obviously on the front lines of climate change, the, the fires, the the droughts, all that kind of stuff. Do you see a potential for AI to help out you know, slowing or adapting to climate change? Yeah, and I think it's probably more broadly some of the scientific topics in the future that we're going to have to deal with. Absolutely. And, and I think, too, that 
the, the more you can get data driven. So we've seen this in in uh, companies and in business. The, the more you can align on a single source of truth and focus on the facts and the data, the more effective you can be in, in addressing a situation. Right. And so if, if I look at, um, I mean, even improvements in agriculture, you, you think about the innovations that we talked about earlier around image recognition. Also, th there are now very high resolution satellites that just ring the earth. So you have access to a lot of very good visual data, geospatial data, climate, you know, heat, water, the different uh, migration patterns and things in, in animals and populations. So what, what we're going to be, what we're able to do right now and what we'll be able to do in the future is look at these patterns. And, and again, like being able to crunch enormous amounts of data, like weather data is, you know, unbelievably intensive. So being able to have the systems and technologies to handle those kinds of use cases means that you will be able to better predict what potential, you know, fire, flood, even, you know, disease related type um, uh, patterns and, and topics will be. And you can break it down so that as you test what potential responses are, you can then more accurately predict what the likely outcome is. And so I think the, the more that you can apply data and science to some of the challenges that we have in the world, the more effective that you're going to be. And, and in some of the personal circumstances I've been in around conservation, that's what we've looked to do is we've looked at images of what is happening to an environment. We've looked at readings around availability of water and, and trends and patterns over time to then be able to say, okay, well, if we have this type of outcome that we're looking to drive, what are the investments or interventions that we need to make? And so I actually, I see data and technology as being absolutely crucial to that. I want to ask you to be a visionary for, uh, right here near the end, if okay. you would. Looking ahead five years or mm -hmm. more, how do you see AI transforming business? Because you've done such a great job of kind of describing how what's going on now, what the capabilities are now. But look mm. ahead, five yeah. years, economy, even society, how could it be transformative? So I think you've got two areas where it's going to matter most. One is efficiency and the other is value add. And I think that people tend to jump in shadows around AI is going to be disruptive to employment and is going to take people's jobs. And actually, there were predictions about that in the 1950s that proved not to be true and things. And, and so what I actually think is likely to happen is that a lot of the rote repetitive tasks are going to be automated away and the result of the work will be as good as it currently is or better. And what it's actually going to do is free up people to do less repetitive, less road work and more creative, more satisfying work. And I think, you know, as, as we transition from the Industrial Revolution and, and people were working in, in mass in factories and then you saw automation, you didn't actually see a net reduction in employment, but you didn't have people doing very rote and repetitive tasks anymore and things. And so... I think one of the, the best, if, if I look at head to five years, which isn't really that far out in the, the scheme of things, I think that that's going to be, you know, a, a real impact. And then if you think about the 
capability that your phone has now that it didn't have five years ago, whether it's like mapping and location or understanding you communicating with it and serving up ideas and like the, the photo capability and images. And so the, the value and, and, you know, a lot of those capabilities are added for free, Yeah. you know, whether it's, it's entertainment or, you know, that type of, you know, support for how you want to operate as a person. I think there's going to be a lot of value add that's going to come through. And I think that's, that's probably the, the two biggest angles. I don't know that they will be flying cars by then. They, they may be in trials, but I think, fundamentally how people operate at work in their personal life will be you know, pretty dramatically impacted by AI, but I'm more of an optimist. I think that's going to be for the yeah, better. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Hey, this has been a great conversation, Frank. Really enjoyed talking to you. I, I found your conversation, your description of um, recursion pharma, what they're doing with the clinical yep. trials and AI. I think that's really fascinating when you think about what they're doing and then the other kinds of things that the, the, the pharma, the biotech industry could do, or, you know, I mean, you, you look at healthcare and you just see yeah. an industry that is ripe for transformation and we need it. So I, I think that's just a, a wonderful example. And I'm, I'm going to go out and get a, a, and read your state of AI in the enterprise survey. Now, is that something that anybody can download from the Deloitte? Yeah, that's on Deloitte.com. Uh, there's some infographics and there's a executive, executive summary of that. So we could, we could get that to you. But um, yeah, that's, uh, that's very publicly available. I think a lot of the listeners are going to rush over there and get that because I think that's just the kind of thing, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that business leaders and also technology leaders, I think they all want to know that stuff. They need, they That's need right. There, there's a business and a technology angle in there. It's written, you don't have to have a computer science degree in order to consume it and, and get value from it. So it's it's written for both business and technology, but we think that you know a, a lot of the public would yeah. benefit. No, that sounds great. Yeah, I think thought leadership, I mean, Deloitte has a reputation for thought leadership. I think it's well known. I think it burnishes the brand i'm sure it helps with marketing you know when you when you show yeah, what yeah. you what you can do but i think it's a, a brilliant thing for you guys to share it in this way it's the marketing that we like yeah. to do we we like to have a point of view it's important for our clients and we need to be able to express it in a way that can be understood and so that the vast majority of our marketing is focused on that because um, we think it, it's just that important for our clients well very cool well thanks again so much for being on today it's been it's been fascinating talking to you yeah thanks for having me appreciate it the data cloud world tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at snowflakes data cloud at a venue near you Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data. Find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data cloud world tour.